Hello and welcome to the Being Berlin podcast brought to you by Bands. I'm your host, Mac Matan, Canadian writer and Berlin resident who wants to share a piece of Berlin through recorded conversations. Whether it's the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on Being Berlin is James Cook. James is a musician and producer who forged his own path in the musical world. Previously a founding member of Nemo, he's since become a solo artist and has called Berlin home since the late noughties. We have a fascinating and fun discussion on being a quote-unquote underground musician and defining success on your own terms. I hope you enjoy it. escaping yeah this glorious autumn we've been having yeah yeah to, to go to rainy manchester actually ah is that a creative city for you um my girlfriend lives there really yeah and but okay so she lives there she's so, from manchester okay and but you <clears throat> but you live in berlin yeah okay well uh that must be exciting <laughs> being able to just travel around. Yeah, she comes to visit me. I go to visit her. And when, I, when I'm in the... I go to the UK quite a bit as well because my my family's still there. So I um, go back and forth. Okay. And so I'm interested aside to know, aside from your beautiful voice, what instruments you play? Um, I play guitar. Um, I mean, I can sort of play everything but to a very low low quality level so i'm i'm a, i'm okay on guitar and i'm a i'm an okay singer i can play i play bass and I, in the studio i play everything but you don't have to be a good musician in the studio you can just um you know you can work around that you don't have to be a good <laughs> you musician you don't have to be an amazing musician it, it, to be a good studio musician actually it's a different skill to, to being like a, a, a sort of virtuoso or musician. A studio musician is a different sort of animal, I think. Because there's more tools at your disposal to make you sound better? No, no, it's not, not to do with that. It's more to do with um, an aesthetic, uh, knowing, knowing what is required in the moment. And um, as a producer, you know, that's, that's the job of a producer, really. So, so you, I've sort of that's something I've taught myself, at, at, along with everything else as well. So you live in Berlin and you're a solo musician, but before you moved here, you used to be part of a band, and I think they're, it's called Nemo. Yeah. And Nemo formed when? Nemo formed in 1999. Oh. Yeah. Partying with Prince, okay. <laughs> so it's fascinating because I said off off mic mm. that I didn't know what to anticipate. Yeah. I, I knew you're a rock musician. I knew you're from the UK. And I know you produce, but I didn't know what it was going to sound like. And I remember this one song in particular, I think it's called Piccadilly in, in sepia. sepia. Fantastic. Oh. My goodness. And I listened to a few other stuff on Bandcamp. I haven't gone through your whole discography. Yeah, yeah it's a lot. It's a lot to... I was 
blown away by oh, how oh, fucking good it is. And I just thought, you know, there's this thing that happens a lot in life, I think, to a lot to a lot of people. And you they know of they encounter some form of art that's just really, really good quality, but they hadn't heard about it before. And yeah. maybe a lot of people have maybe a lot of people in the UK have heard of you because I know you've no, to- you've I, toured. I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't okay. say that. I would say I was a cult musician. Uh, if if anything um but i always like feel like sometimes the best things are a bit like that some somehow uh, i'm not trying to co- say that i i am that i'm just saying that like my but, favorite but you are. my favorite <laughs> no my favorite band of all time is the velvet underground ah. and they 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 sort of legendarily never really sold any records while they were together for about five years and they were hanging out with andy warhol in the 60s in new york but they didn't really sell any records and and uh they made like they made like i think four four albums and then and then lou reed sort of quit the band and everybody legendary you know um famously you know they they sort of they sort of say that the, uh, there was only a few thousand records sold but every person that bought that 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 those albums formed a band including people like david bowie brian eno some of the most influential sort of people who were then to sort of go on and make music in the 70s so um so that was my my understanding was that you didn't have to be successful to be good. In, in fact, sometimes it works the other way around. I think you know because people that, like if you if you have a career and you and you have like the pressure of like have, needing to be successful, I think it can really affect your art. And there's obviously so many stories of 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 um, not just musicians but all, all, all forms of of art that that kind of like self combusts uh, after success you know so it's sometimes almost a little bit of an anathema to um to good stuff yeah and sometimes success brings with it this shadow of i don't want to call it selling out but almost you've lost something to, especially to the cult fans that you were referring to before, yeah. the people who were like, we followed them before anyone knew who they were. and It loses, it loses something mm. when it becomes more popular. But how do you feel about that? How do you feel about people feeling that way? That's thing, some, something is lost in the mass consumption. That is exactly why I think I've had the career that I have is because I've never chased that. Wow. I've never ever tried to chase that. I, with Nemo, that was me that was me trying to I suppose the trying to do what I thought was like a pop uh thing. Um you mentioned Piccadilly and Sepia. It's it's the 20th anniversary of of the of of uh, it's literally almost to the to the day that we recorded that s- single. Uh it was November 2002. Um it wasn't released until 2003, but but it is the twentieth anniversary, and I, and I am actually I just finished a, a, a sort of compilation of Nemo stuff, which uh, I've sort of gone through the archives and remixed and remastered and, and re-recorded, uh, and um, just preparing the release of that for next year. And I've got a brand new song that I've written, which I'm putting on the album as well. So it's it is int- funny that you mentioned Piccadilly because Piccadilly and Sepia was the <clears throat> the beginning of my recording career, I suppose you would say, and um, it was like a benchmark 
moment for me, I suppose. Right. Uh, well, the song's great, so I urge all the listeners to go to your band camp. Uh, I did look you, tried to look you up on Spotify, and you're not on there. Is that, no. what's the, what's going on there? I don't really like Spotify, to be honest. I can't be bothered with it. Okay, you don't want to submit anything to it. <laughs> I, there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a guy a guy who has a label and he's he's been asking me for years to he wants to distribute all my music digitally and um, he 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 did the first couple of ne- he did like a couple of Nemo singles back in the day and um, they're the only things that are up there. Um, I'm I'm in the process of like I've just realised I just want to remix and remaster the whole back catalogue, which is like ten albums. So it's going to take a while, but I'm I'm probably going to start with this best of, uh, uh, and and then go from there. I reckon. When you see me type uh, texting, it's I'm just adding questions. Yeah, yeah, no worries, that. no like, worries. I, don't, I, I am not texting no, anybody. No, it's okay. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is fascinating because you got into the music industry in 1999. You have this amazing band with incredible music. I'm curious, what were your influences musically? before you stepped into the booth as Nemo. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so, so you know, we're going all the way back to the 90s here, okay? and, and, and Great decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah I suppose, yeah, it was a, it was a good decade. Um, so, you know, I just, I kind of, um, I wanted to be, a, I, I realised that I wanted to be a full-time musician. I kind of taught myself to play guitar when I was about 15 and um, I wanted to be a songwriter. I was writing songs without a- any musical ability. I was literally had this drum machine and was just like sort of singing over the top of a drum machine and, and I realised I would better learn an instrument. So I, I sort of like did that and that was at school and, um, it took, you know, probably took me about five years to get to get, to get any good really. And um, so... I, I had a band out of college, and, and then we went to London. I'm from Luton, which is which is like just outside London. There's an airport called London Luton Airport. Everybody kind of knows Luton now, but uh, Luton used to be like the punchline of a joke in the '80s. It was like uh, it was one of those cities that uh, one of those towns that that, that was uh, would be every year would be voted like worst town in England. <laughs> for like ouch and and so if you ever said that you were from Luton people would sort of like smirk uh so so uh, i have a very similar thing with being from ottawa right ontario it's like it's tagline is the city that fun forgot mm, right yeah so yeah. i think i i feel i feel you on that yeah yeah i mean it's uh you know i mean but again something there's something about coming from uh like sort of like what would be considered not a backwater but it's like we used to call them the satellite towns uh towns towns around the outside of uh, of of london or or, or big cities you know and they're kind of almost the worst place to be because you're in the shadow of of the you're 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 close enough that you can sort of almost see it and smell it but you're not but you you might as well be on the other side of the world and that's how it felt um but you know eventually you know we we we, me and um my mate milan from my school friend milan who was the, the bass player in nemo um moved to london and and we got a record deal pretty quickly uh with my first band spectacle 
but but we sort of imploded in the studio as we were doing our first single and then very quickly after that uh i just sort of flipped it and, and formed nemo and um and uh at that point you know it was like the tail end of well the arse end of brit pop as i as i used to say um <laughs> and um i kind of even then i real i sort of realized that you, you shouldn't probably try and rely on the music industry to sort of uh, provide for you. Um, it was, it was, I'd already worked out it was a pretty unforgiving uh, industry. And what do you mean by unforgiving? Just, you know, just sharks and rip-off merchants and, uh, you know, people that are happy to sort of swallow you, chew you up, spit you out and, and move on to the next thing and... Uh, so um, I kind of thought I need I need to sort of get myself some armor, you know, and that, and that became my sort of self um, self sufficiency was my armor, I suppose. So it, it, I just realized, well, we need to we need to learn to make our own records. We, we need to uh, learn to produce. We need to book our own shows. We need to not wait around for somebody in the industry to kind of discover you and this whole that whole thing. And so, so that is that is what we did. Uh, we set up a club. Uh, I remember the first gig that we did was like at the like the end of night. It was like literally the, I mean it was it was literally the ta- the the end of the sort of nineteenth uh, of the twentieth century, like it was like December or something, uh, nineteen ninety nine, and um, we did this show in the Water Rats in King's Cross, and. Um, we weren't even called Nemo. We were billed as King Size, uh, and then at, at some because we hadn't had the name at that point. And then by the time we did the show, we we had chosen the band, the name Nemo, and we did this show. And we wear these white boiler suits and eye, and eyeliner, and uh, we kind of came emerged fully formed. And it's, I came off the stage, and the the this guy comes up to me and says, "Oh, you, you, you're, 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 in, you're the singer of the band Nemo." And I was like, "Yeah." He says, "Oh, I'm a manager. Uh, you know, do, do, do you have a manager?" And I was like, "This is our first gig, so like, we got a manager like straight away." And uh, and uh, the the owner of the venue came up to me with the, with the with the two glasses and a bottle of wine and and said, "You you 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 were <laughs> on it. This is like it sounds like." like a movie or something but he just he said you he was irish and the the sound guy and the owner were like you guys are you guys are fucking awesome you know uh here's have some have a bottle of wine and uh and uh, i i sort of like was a bit cocky from from coming off stage and i was like we we don't really want to do gigs like this you know we want to have our own club night and uh you know we don't really want to do this the, the london circuit we want we want to have our own sort of place and he says well do 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 it here and uh, he said i'll pay for, i'll i'll pay the promoter f- f- to hire the venue you just show up you know you do you do your you do your thing bring bring the audience and uh, we'll go from there and and we we set up this club night uh, like on the spot basically and uh, it was called the system and um i had this uh, this I had this kind of vision of mixing like in, indie music uh, with with electro basically, which 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 was electro was a very cool, uh, very uncool 
80s kind of uh, sort of style of music that that was really out of fashion at that point. Um, but I was like I was like convinced that the future was electro, and um, so we we set up this the club and we meshed in in indie music uh, and like the sort of live music scene with like a cl the club scene, and uh, um, the rest is history, I suppose you say. Wow, that is a rousing tale that. I guess the lesson there was that you took the initiative understanding the music industry is not a really great friend and you just did this, what was supposed to be a small, well, very, a seminal thing in your music path, but still kind of in your mind probably was small. You were thinking, I'm going to continue to perform on, on stages and see what happens, but you kind of forged, like you grabbed Destiny by the horns and just did it and made it yeah, for yourself. It's that's that's quite a good way of, of putting it. I, I, I wanted to be the master of my own destiny right. and, 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 uh, and, and I just thought this is the, I think this is the only way I'm going to be able to do it. And now we'll take a break for a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Bands. Bands is a rock band program for hobbyist musicians. If you have a flair for music and have always wanted to join a rock band as a hobbyist, Bands is the program for you. Visit bandsberlin.com and register to get started. You'll have an audition with a musical mentor, and then you'll be placed in a group of fellow hobbyist musicians to meet up once a week for rehearsals. Once again, that's bandsberlin.com. Sign up today and make sure to follow Bands on Facebook and Instagram at Bands Berlin. And now let's return to the episode. And, um, and now I kind of understand why you haven't gone on another path musically within the industry because you were, you were shown immediately that when you do take charge things move out of the way for you yeah 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 definitely i i'd i'd um i'd i'd, I'd seen enough of the i've been i'd been in london a couple of years and i'd seen enough of the mechanics of the industry and, and what happens when you get a record deal or whether you get a manager to me most of the time when anybody got a deal or a manager or something it seemed to me that nothing happened you'd get a deal you'd get a manager and then you literally just like just just waiting in a you know waiting for something to happen. And yeah, I used to watch these bands and like they said like, why have you stopped being active? You know, oh, well with the label wants us to wait until next year and we want to do this and that. And I just I was like, oh you know what, screw, screw that. I, I'm not going to do that. And um, and it, it sort of becomes your identity. You know, like it, it you know it's sort of um. You, you, it's your persona, I, and I and I re I think I also because I'm quite a shy person, really, and I I, re I realized I had to kind of adopt a, a persona, and I became very quickly known as James Nemo. People didn't know my surname, and um, they used to find it funny. You have a great solo name, James Cook. Wow, it's my That's, actual name. It's your real name. Yeah. <laughs> does anyone ever, does anyone ever call you Jimmy? Jimmy, yeah, yeah. Um, some <laughs> friends call me Jimmy. Jimmy Cook. <laughs> when I was a Jimmy Cook, when I was a, when I was a, a little kid, my my grandmother 
my granny is from was from Glasgow in Scotland, and uh, she used to call me Jamie, J Jamie, uh, um, and uh, f funnily enough, uh, when we when we when when I was a kid, we we didn't have a a telephone in our house, and uh, there was a phone box outside. This was before uh, mobile phones and all that, and um, uh, if you wanted to get hold of us. We gave people the number of the telephone box outside, <laughs> and they, they would call the call the the phone and so, so you could to, hear you could hear it from the house. So, um, no, no. But what would happen was you'd let it ring for long enough, and then somebody walking past would 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 hear it ring and go and answer the phone, <laughs> and then my my granny or whoever it was would say. Um, can you please go to number 48 and, and you know, like tell them that, that I want... So, so people would... So I remember one day uh, there's a knock at the door. I was about probably about seven, seven or eight years old. And I opened the door and there was these like tough kids like hanging outside and, and they were like, is Jim in? And I was like, there's no there's no Jim here. And he's like, oh, sorry, mate. And then it go, go, goes off and then and I closed the door and mum was like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know. It's... And then there was another knock at the door and I open it again and he, this kid's out of breath and he goes, no, no, not, not, uh, not Jimmy. Um, James, 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 uh, it's your granny on the phone. <laughs> so I, he, she, she, when, when he picked up the phone, he was like, hello. And she was like, is that you, Jimmy? Uh, and he, he thought that she said, Jimmy. And uh, uh, just went and knocked on the on the door and, uh, and asked for Jimmy. Okay. So yes, some people did call me Jimmy. What a fantastic story! <laughs> wow. So did you? Did your family ever get a f home phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. Yeah. <laughs> Not we, that you needed it because you got the messages to you. Yeah. No. We. Uh, we, we. Yes. Of course we did. Um, I think about a couple of years later we got a phone. Okay. So yeah. That's that's amazing. It would have been more amazing if you never got a phone. You just your phone was just the phone outside. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what? Who were your contemporary kind of other bands that you really liked that were on the scene with you? Uh, that's another good question. Um, yeah. So there was a there was a band called the the Sneaker Pimps. What a name. They were they were like a trip hop band in oh, in, in cool. the mid '90s. So, so there was that scene, the Bristol trip hop scene of like Portishead and um, Massive Attack and Tricky, and uh, they sort of like created this genre. Incre incredible bands. <laughs> yeah, um, the Sneaker Bimps were part of that scene, and they 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 they, they, they had already released uh, had a big success with their first album, and then Chris Chris and uh, Liam. Who, who who's who formed the band decided they didn't want to use the singer that they'd only they brought this singer in at, because the label wanted wanted a female singer and they didn't want to do that anymore so they 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 kind of ditched the singer and then reinvented themselves and they they had their own label and they were touring around the world uh with their own label making their own records and um this manager that 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 um that sort of uh, came up to us after the first gig was managing another band called Robots in Disguise. And um, 
one of the he said to me, "Oh, the, I'm managing these robots in disguise." He says, "Do you like the sneaker pimps?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course I do. I love that uh, the album Splinter that just came out is amazing, and they produce it themselves." And he said, "Well." One of the girls, Sue, in the robots in disguise, is going out with Chris Corner from the Sneaker Pimps, and and uh, and I was like, oh, can okay, okay, we've got to meet those guys, and so we just became friends, and and it was like the the system, the club, the robots. We we had the robots play at the club, and um, which which then meant that every all the people connected to them came to the show, saw the club, saw Nemo, liked the music, became fast friends. And there was a, like, we already created this, like, what people would say in the industry, like a buzz within a, within a space of about six months. Um, and we, we, would, we would always book. We and would, it was organic. Yeah. And we would literally uh, would book bands that we, we loved and we'd have them be the headliners and we'd pay them and we would support them. And so they would, they would bring a crowd. Um, so would we, but we would also play to their crowd and we'd only book bands that were similar to what we were trying to do. And uh, and that was kind of the scene, really. So we sort of like, there was already a, a scene with the Sneaker Pimps, Robots in Disguise, and a band called The Servant that were on the Sneaker Pimps label. <clears throat> and um, we sort of be- sort of became ensconced in that scene, or, or rather... The, the scene sort of came to the club and, and, and became the focal point of, 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 the, of, the, of the, that this sort of movement that was already kind of happening, which was like electronic indie music, I guess is right. what I would say. Which I think that describes your sound so perfectly. And there's, there's something, I mean, indie music, when you think of it, it sounds, that when I hear the word indie music, not that it's a bad thing, but it just sounds slow in my head. It's, oh, that's going to be the slow navel-gazing music. Yeah. But then you're right. It, it does have that electro thing where it makes it just makes it something totally different. And so I think that's a really good, uh, a really good description. I wanted to talk about lyric writing. And yeah. I, so I, one of my, actually one of the best musicians I know and one of my closest friends is Ta- really talented and the one thing she she's american and one of the things she really struggles with is lyric writing which to me is so surprising because texting her and talking to her on the phone she's so poetic but when it comes to sitting down in front of a piece of paper and writing lyrics she finds it so difficult and i bring up the fact that she's american because in contrast to british musicians i find that writing your own music is a lot more I don't even know if it's more pushed in the UK or it's just a consequence of it's just a different it's a really uh, what literary culture or people are really maybe more into writing than than Americans are I don't want don't give me hate audience but I'm just I'm just trying to understand it because the British musicians just write such fantastic lyrics what is it what is it about you guys <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's to do with the popular culture. I mean, I wouldn't say that we have that culture now anymore, but but in the no, that's in, not true. You do still. Well, I okay, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, there's there's like a literary history uh, within uh, Br- British culture, um, poetry. I mean, really, in terms of. Uh, 
the art the art of music and the, and the, and um, self expression. You know, obviously e- England is the is the country of Shakespeare, and and probably from from there onwards, uh, you know, it, you, 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 that's where, where the sort of literary um, culture grew. Um, I mean, there's I mean there are wonderful, unbelievably ta- talented songwriters in the United States. I just mean if I'm looking at the pop like population percentage comparability mm. yeah i th- i think that it seems it strikes me as some kind of fearlessness maybe in in british uh writers and singers where they just don't have that oh i need someone else to help me write this like i'm i can really like they have this autonomy with their words that i think is amazing but also really interesting i think uh, some some people say it's because of the weather <laughs> that's not that's not crazy that's that could really be it you know if it's if it's raining all the time you know uh th- th- this is th- there's people have this there's this theory about manchester particularly manchester um because it's supposed to rain all the time in manchester and 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 that's that's why there, there there's like there was such a a, a sort of a, a massive culture of bands because there was nothing else to do basically because it was always raining and uh, and everybody was skint and there wasn't really anything going on so you'd just go and come into like a rehearsal room like this and just just keep rehearsing and writing until till you get good um and um but yeah I don't know what it is it's like a pet I think it's like a petri dish <clears throat> it, it, britain is is a very um it's a very diverse uh, culture. If you, you can go like a hundred miles in any direction and find a completely different <clears throat> dialect, culture, um, accents, you know, literally, you know, you 50 miles up the road. There's a, com- you know, and the <clears throat> there's something, there's something about that. There's something about the fact that it was an, it's an island. There's something about the fact that it's been, invaded and uh so many times you know so so it's it's probably something to do with that yeah it's like european but it's also at the same time like almost the opposite of european because it's an island so it's like and of course you 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 had the the sort of british empire you know which which uh which um on the on the bad side of, of empires you have the tyranny and the the genocide and the and the horrific sort of war mentality but at the on the other side you 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 have this sort of way of spreading the culture as well uh and it's a form of propaganda you know rudyard kipling for example he was like a he was a, a tool of the british empire you know um it it was a way of sort of like glossing over white supremacy uh with with sort of nice words and, and uh, white man's burden yeah. <laughs> but but it's uh it's like uh you know that th- that that was like the <clears throat> i mean the romans did it as well i mean it, all empires used you i mean the romans famously like appropriated christianity just because they realized it was a great way of controlling people and spreading propaganda 
Yeah. So all empires sort of do that. And I guess, uh, you know, you need, you need uh, creative people that can make your horrible shit uh, seem attractive. Uh, so that that would be probably be 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 why English writing because I say English because the, the British Empire was not British it was English you know if you ask us Scottish people and Welsh people and Irish people you know uh, about the British Empire they 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 won't they won't call it the, they won't say that they're even part of it. Um, so there's 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 that. So that's that's probably how it's disseminated. As as to where it comes from, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a a fucked up sort of like little country, really, with 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 diversity and conflict and culture. So that's that, that's what happens, I suppose, when you when you mix everything up. Mm, okay, yeah, that's fascinating. I could talk about this. <laughs> I think about I think about the British Empire, empires in general, the ascendance of certain powers over others this is a really fascinating thing but i really am curious about you musically um you'll have to you'll have to come back for another episode to talk about all things british empire so you okay when when did nemo break apart um 2009 Ten, so you had a 10 year run 10 years yeah that's yeah. that's quite that's amazing plenty <laughs> 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 that's that's you know that's that's uh, that's plenty of so like so how long did the gig at the system last um we we kept it going for about five years wow um uh, so it was really a neighborhood staple like people just not just the neighbors but in the city like people knew like that's where to go to listen to yeah we, we a were, cool show we were we were it was a monthly club uh and cool. uh and um we had it passing through you know, we had. You know, we always were on the cutting edge of of what what we thought was cool, uh, and it did happen to be electronic music. Um, people, people that came through, like people like uh, Imogen Heap. I don't know if wow. you've heard of her. Oh, fuck yeah! <laughs> okay, of course. Well, it, Imogen, she was one of the. She used to come down at that time. She she had she'd uh, just she had a record deal, but she just got dropped. I think. She'd made a project called Fru Fru. She got uh, dropped. She she um fucking idiots. How could you do that to her? <laughs> yeah. So she was like trying to reinvent herself, and she was didn't know what to. She told me this once, she, but she used to come down the system. Uh, uh, lots of other people would as well uh, from various different bands. It was a it was like a good a cool. The word came out quite quickly, and she she once told me that it was coming to the system and seeing Nemo play that made her decide to go electronic, is what she said. Wow. <laughs> so, um, of course, you know. That's massive. That's got to fill your heart with yeah, I mean, pride was, and joy. and It was a lovely thing. When she gave me, she gave me um, the, her album, Speak for Yourself, which she'd made herself, and, uh, uh, and she gave it to me and she said, James, I just want to get, this is my new album. And I want this. This is for you. I just want to tell you that it, if it wasn't for you and Nemo, I'm, I don't even know whether I'd have made this record. Um, in terms of it was, it was because of Nemo that I just had this sort of epiphany and decided to go, to sort of go full on electronic electro. And um, 
and then she we t- we went and toured. We did a tour. We toured with her uh, as her backing band and and as the support band. And we did like a UK tour with her. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was very very sweet, you know, f- f- for that to be said. And and uh, you know that that was if you're if you're sort of influencing the influencers, uh, that was that's like velvet underground territory you know from there i was like that's that's what i've always wanted and uh, chris corner from the sneaker pimps he, he then went on to uh, form a band called imx his own sort of sort of projects and he said a similar thing to me once but they were these people were influencing me but but we were because it that's what happens in a scene is that when you have this collective hive mind of of talent it's like you you're drawn to each other like magnets and, and and that is what what had happened and there was also there was a crossover with comedy as well because there was a there was a a comedy group called the mighty boosh who uh were also on the scene and uh, hanging out at our club and i became really again fast friends with julian barrett and noel fielding and they then went on to sort of sort of break the mold in in comedy as well and um it just it was all it it all was happening at the same time yeah because i mean in art you know you have the impressionists the romantics the certain eras for lack of a better term but it's not just in paintings right it's like also in literature it's also in sculpture it's all like it i know what you mean i think that kind of contemporary bleed out is really it's it's so fascinating and also because when you like when we think of the 80s we think of like a very specific sound you mm. know like like bearing in mind there was so much different type of music going on in the 80s yeah, yeah. but you know we think of that because something happens well if well obviously the predatory nature of the music industry like like it's a gold rush industry so they kind of recreate the same thing again and again okay. but even like beyond that underneath it like there there are those like influences and cultural touchstones where you're with like this you said you've just said it like a creative hive and Mm. it's not weird or shocking that there is so much interplay going on yeah i mean it was i it's i you know it's almost you know we call it you know people write like a manifesto um the whole point of that is that you're supposed to be manifesting uh, <laughs> something, you know, when you right. write a manifesto and uh, it's like a magic spell or something. And, and that's exactly what, what I, what happened was I was like, I'm going to, going to go to London. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be part of a, a scene. Um, I'm going to meet all these like minds, you know, and um, all the things that I w- wanted to happen and, uh, by moving to London, happened within less than two two years. Wow! Um, and uh, for me, and, and at the time, we were all everybody was sort of doing quite well. And then you know what happens when you have like a group of of friends and um, every. I thought it was like us against the world. I thought we were like this powerful community, and um, of course. Um, once everybody starts to have a little bit of success, it sort of slowly f- sort of drifts a- apart. But everybody wants a little more time for themselves. Yeah, but but we we tra- we we transmuted it over to Berlin, pretty yeah. pretty quickly. Wow. Okay. 
what a segue. I was I was just about to get that. But like, did you did you break up and then go to Berlin, or did they go to Berlin with you? Like, how no, did it how, no, did, how we, did it go down? In um in the in the sort of um history of cult bands, we became more famous uh, outside of our own country. <laughs> <laughs> than we than we than we ever were gonna be in our in our own country. Are you know? like Michael Jackson famous in Japan? <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. We 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 would so on the back of what we were talking about and saying like, I want to have this uh, manifest this uh, scene this 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 sort of existence this entity, um, but I want it to be self-sustained so at, at the same time that we were doing the club and playing the shows and hanging out you know with all the cool kids uh i we were had our own studio we were learning our craft in in terms of production we you know we were going to create our own label started to release our own records just like this nicker pimps had done and I, I was picking chris's brains all the way through this and there were you know that you there were people that were uh, head of the game and this wasn't a thing that you did uh, back then it wasn't you, you know you now everybody is uh, makes their own records releases it themselves put, puts it out on the internet you know th this wasn't a thing that this was like the tail end of the old school industry of like you need a record deal uh, studio costs two hundred thousand pounds you know to make a record it, you know you need a label to you need someone to fund you we were like we were like saying well you know sod that you know like i'm not, not going to wait around for that to happen there is there must be a way and uh, and, and some people were, were leading the way and, and people started falling in love with what you were doing in germany yeah exactly so so um i <clears throat> hang on i can't hear myself yeah this okay thing gets tricky uh that's all right it's working now okay Okay, so, uh, okay, look, I have another little story, okay? <laughs> Please, I'm loving, <laughs> I'm loving your stories. <laughs> okay, so, um, have you heard of Robert Palmer? No, I don't. Okay, so is he... It, is it a drink? <laughs> As an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't... No, I don't, no, Robert... I don't really know a lot of things. Yeah, who okay, is that? Okay, so, Robert, Robert Palmer was um, a, 70, um, a 70s artist, 70s and 80s artist, uh, English uh, songwriter. He had a song called Addicted to Love. I don't know if you know this song. Gonna have to face it, you're addicted to love. Anyway, he was a ma massive sort of pop artist in the vein of like Bowie or, or Peter Gabriel, but he was a bit more mainstream, I suppose. And um, my friend Chris from Sneaker Pimps at that time was friends with, with Robert Palmer and his wife, Mary. And um, Robert Palmer died of a heart attack, like around that time, 2003, 2004. And uh, Chris said to me, he'd, he had this new project, IMX, that he was sort of launching. And um, he said to me, he turned around to me one day and he said, do you want to come, uh, do you want to come to Europe with me? Do you want to, do you want to, um, I'm going to uh, Switzerland uh, on uh, next 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 week um, to stay in Robert Palmer's house in Switzerland 
Um, and I was like, he, he just died. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's, but his wife lives, lives there in, in this house in Switzerland on her own with a studio. And I'm, I'm going to fly over, over to Switzerland. I'm going to rehearse with her because we have a gig in Berlin on the Saturday. And he said, he said, I, he said, uh, do you want to, do you want to come along? You know, like I, you know, I need like a roadie sort of thing. Do you want to like, uh, he, he, he didn't sort of, he just said, do you want to, do you want to just come along? I'll pay for everything. And, uh, and, uh, you know, like just, just come fly, come and fly over to Switzerland with me. You don't have to ask me twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, uh, uh, uh and the, I, I, I said, oh, okay. Uh, I, I said something like, yeah, but you know, Nemo, we've got it. We've got to rehearse. And he's like, look, just don't worry about that. Come, come, come. At this point we hadn't, Le- played outside of London or the southeast of England, and um, he said, "Oh, by the way, can you bring your guitar? Because I need a spare guitar, you know, in case my my break a string or whatever." He says, "I bring your guitar." So yeah, so we flew to Switzerland, picked up picked up at the airport by by um, by Robert Palmer's widow Mary, and. Um, and she arrived at her amazing, beautiful sort of like mini mansion place in in Switzerland, and uh, he proceeded to rehearse with her because they had a gig in like two days' time. So they were rehearsing, and then at some point after the second day of rehearsing, he he said to me, "Do you wanna do you wanna join in? Do you wanna jam along?" <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Yeah, sure." So he says, "Get your guitar then." So I got the guitar out, plugged it in, and he we played like one 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 song, and he and he's like he, t- he showed me the chords, and they said, "Should we do another? Should we do another song?" I was like, "Yeah." yeah. So before I knew it, I'd learned I'd learned like half the set, and then he says, uh, "So do you want to play tomorrow night in Berlin? You know, do you want to be on stage?" And and I was like, uh, uh, "Yeah." So I think I can pencil it into my schedule. <laughs> so we were, so we were, you know, we were, we were gonna, we were gonna then fly from Switzerland with Mary, with all the equipment to Berlin, and he, you know, he had this uh, sort of big show in a club called Maria. Uh, this was two thousand and four, and so like suddenly I went from being like in this little um, sort of cult, sort of London band. Um, playing on stage to about you know five six hundred people at this club called Maria, uh, in, at the heart of 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 the Berlin scene, electronic scene. Um, and then I, that was it, really. I kind of again, it was talk about like an epiphany moment. I was like, oh my god, Berlin! Berlin is is amazing. At that time, it was it was just on the cusp of like. It was coming out of the sort of '90s um, club techno scene, and uh, they were just so ready for uh, bands. And it just so happened that that you know because they, it was such a te- techno club culture, uh, bands that were able to come over from the UK and and fit right into. Uh, playing at playing at three in the morning in in, in, a, in a massive Berlin club, um, 
were, were, were then able to just completely take off. And so very quickly, so I played the show with IMX. I obviously had all my demos with me. I, I was handing demos out left, right and centre. Oh. And then before, uh, before you, you, I was then, t I, I joined IMX. So we started touring around Europe. I, did, I, I sort of semi-simultaneously -simul was playing in IMX at the weekends, flying out to Europe, doing these little tours, flying back, doing the system with Nemo, writing our album. And then very quickly, the promoters, you know, like I, I didn't stop going on about Nemo. And, and, and so they book, the, the bookers started to book us. And then we, Nemo, we, we got ourselves out of London and, and started to play in Berlin, Czech Republic, um, uh, Belgium, uh, France, various different places, but mostly from Berlin and then the whole of touring the whole of Germany and this this happened in the space of about 18 months wow and at that time we we just we'd finished our album and we we were we'd sort of we'd picked up a deal in Germany a distribution deal and um we were getting played on the radio uh, but by the time by the time sort of we'd got to like t 2005 6 we we were we were self-releasing we had fan bases in about three or four different countries buying our records from our website and um and uh, that was it so and so the, all this all this so so we 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 basically went from from having being this cult band in london you know of for about three or four years and to to like suddenly um really touring in, in different countries uh, you know all over europe mm. and releasing our records and being like a sort of recognized independent band um it's almost like w before the industry realized that we that we, we it was just four four guys from uh, north london you know um we kind of almost tricked everyone into thinking we were like a big band or something and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and by the time they realized it was too late um and 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 then you know um at that time that was when berlin was booming and then i i just found out how cheap it, everything was in berlin it was like <laughs> compared to london <laughs> back back then like back then everything was like a euro mm. a beer was a euro uh a kebab was a euro a coffee was a euro you know and uh, i just couldn't believe and and the pound was quite strong back then so so everything was like everything was less than a pound you know, to, and we just couldn't believe it. It was it just blew our minds, and um, there was this vibrant, really cool club scene, and we were like at the centre of it uh, f for a couple of years, and and then, you know, by um, Chris Chris moved to to Berlin. Um, Sue, his girlfriend, who was in the Robots in Disguise, went with him. And then I followed about a year later, and and so we transposed the the scene that we created in London to, uh, to directly to Berlin. Wow! And so that that was in two thousand and nine. No, two thousand and three that you started touring in 2000, Germany. Two thousand and four, uh, we started two thousand four, five, six. Uh, Flying over, touring, right. touring uh, Germany, playing to, playing in different countries around Europe, um, and then um, basically, I decided to sell 
sell my flat, my apartment in in London. I, was I, that a mistake? No, no, no. <laughs> it, I literally sold it just before, like what, uh, two weeks before the crash. So, so it was like, not a mistake. Two thousand and seven <laughs> kind of uh, crisis that sort of became that that world depression in two thousand and eight. I'd sold my flat, cashed in cashed in a, a bit of uh, enough money to buy like a couple of apartments in Berlin. Oh. Because it was so cheap. Damn. So I was just like, okay, this is it. This is my escape route. I'm getting out of here. I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm going to do this full time. Um, I'm, 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 that's it. I'm, I've arrived. And, and by the time <laughs> I, by the time I'd moved to Berlin, that was 2008, we, Nemo were, was on their third album. And, um, the, you know, we were basically running out of, of steam um, we'd been going for 10 years. Um, so, so the band was kind of like falling apart as, as I, as I was moving here. Yeah. And so within, within, within about a year, I'd, 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 I'd started to make another record and it was sort of like a completely opposite of Nemo. It was like, Nemo was like electronic rock. And I, I made this, um, Baroque, um, str- sort of string, string, uh, laden record called The Dollhouse. With uh, with my friend Anne Marie, who uh, is a violinist, a string arranger, and um, <laughs> I think I confused the hell out of all the Nemo fans. We literally, somebody actually said to me like, "You, the Dollhouse is like the anti the antithesis of Nemo," <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, so." Um, <laughs> I, I, Get I, into it. <laughs> yeah, I'd completely done the format that I'd created for Nemo. This kind of thing that I'd manifested. We we I, I couldn't do any more with it anymore. The you know, and that was it. And it it was this f- three fully formed albums, ten years. It felt like a nice little package. Okay, but that's the end of that. Next. And uh, I did this album really quickly, um, with Anne Marie. And then very very quickly after that, I'd started writing my the solo record, the first James Cook record. Which en- was ended up called because the dollhouse was you and Anne Marie. Yeah, and then you decide. Then you decided to be just James. Okay, well, you've, I, I, I you've went, always been just James, but I meant just to be a solo artist. I didn't have the guts to. Um, I didn't have the guts to stand up and say this is me. Ah, okay. So, I wanted to ask you about that because it is a decision to go from being in a band to being a solo artist. But there was actually a buffer zone that you had, which was working with Anne Marie within the dollhouse. Yeah. Uh, and then, so then at some point you're like, yeah, I think I can do my own thing as, as James Cook. What was the trigger for that? Um, I think it was partly just being totally sick of being in a band. <laughs> you're, you were ready to be Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. Is it Destiny's Child thing? I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Um, you know, it's like a little family, you know, and uh, the divorce had gone through and uh, and uh, the kids were, you know, we broke, shared the kids, you know. And so that was it. That was the end of it. And uh, Milan, Milan, the, the bass player of, of Nemo, was like my friend from school. So we'd been friends since we were 11. And he, he said, I, I, he just turned around and said, I don't want to be in the band anymore. And I was like, what? He's like, I don't want to play bass anymore. I want to be, I want to be a mastering engineer. I want, I, I want to, uh, I want to master records. I don't want to record them anymore. 
And, and I was like, okay. It was quite shocking for me. He's like my brother, my brother from another mother type thing. And um, so when he when he left the band, that was that was the beginning of the end of the band. And we 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 limped on for about another year. We mm. got we obviously replaced him, but it wasn't the same. <laughs> we didn't need you, Milan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he 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 um, you know, he just he just didn't want to be a musician. Fair anymore. enough. I mean, he gave it a lot of years, and you had three records, like you said. Yeah. And that's a beautiful, wonderful run, especially if you really created something you're proud of, you know that you gave all of all of yourself to. Yeah. And so that's one because sometimes I do think with some bands, it's like, why are you still together? <laughs> yeah, it was it was something it was perfect. I was able to let it then go. It was it was of you can I'm sure you can imagine it was it was my entire life, my I, entire almost identity, you know. And so James, much good had come to you. Yeah, I was James Nemo. People would call me James Nemo. Nobody knew, you know, people would say, what's your, what's your real name? And I was like, James Cook. And they were like, what, like Captain James Cook? You know, or Captain Nemo. And it's like, what's all that about? What, 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 are you a sailor? Do you want to be a sailor or something? And I hadn't thought about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's funny. There's, there's like a sort of nautical theme to my, to my life somehow. And now we'll take a break for a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Bands. Bands is a rock band program for hobbyist musicians. If you have a flair for music and have always wanted to join a rock band as a hobbyist, Bands is the program for you. Visit bandsberlin.com and register to get started. You'll have an audition with a musical mentor, and then you'll be placed in a group of fellow hobbyist musicians to meet up once a week for rehearsals. Once again, that's bandsberlin.com. Sign up today and make sure to follow bands on Facebook and Instagram at Bands Berlin. And now let's return to the episode. Because uh, Captain Nemo from... from, from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And then there was Captain James Cook, who discovered you know, discovered uh, Australia and New Zealand. He Columbused it, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also Finding Nemo, <laughs> the fish. I know, I know. <laughs> You're like, no, don't talk to me about that. That one hurts. No, people people, people used to say, so have you, you named yourself after the fish? And I was like, no. Nemo is Latin for no one, you know, and... Um, you know, it's uh, that you know, we we'd been going for about four years as Nemo. Mm-hmm. I remember, I actually remember being in London and seeing on the side of of, of one of these double decker London buses this huge uh, advert on the on the bus, like Finding Nemo, and I just remember thinking, "Oh, fuck you, <laughs> Disney." <laughs> yeah, I mean, or it could have a positive effect. And that maybe it attracted more people to your band. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. That's that's silly. Okay, so you're in Berlin in 2008. You move here. You when did you make the Dollhouse? What year? Was that? 2009. Okay, and then when was your first James solo? So so it was like almost like simultaneously. Uh, so I I came came 2008. The winter of 2008 into 2009. I basically recorded the Dollhouse record, pressed it up, released it, 
then I realized I'm, uh, I would, if I needed to, if I was going to tour, I would have to tour with a string quartet and, <laughs> and a band. It was, would have been like an eight piece band. And I just thought, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to afford to tour with an eight piece band. So I kind of quickly moved into, uh, morphed into, I'd already written a handful of songs for what would be the next album. And then I, I uh, again, I had had an, a, a, man, a manager, and she she was saying to me, uh, "Why don't you use your name, James Cook?" You know, and uh, it, it had people had said that to me in the past as well. In the nineties, I did de the deal that I had with my old band. The the label was like James Cook. You know, why don't you? You know, that's your name. Like, you, why don't you use your name? At that time, when he suggested that to me, I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. No, I'm not going to use my own name. It just seems What was the aversion? I think it was just a uh, fear of being of revealing myself, a fear of I I I wasn't confident, you know, and it sounds like I was, but I wasn't. James Nemo was confident. That guy, that guy was confident, you know, but James Cook w w w was not confident. Yeah. So so the idea of 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 being James Cook, being myself and standing up there you know, it, as you can see, it took me about, it took me 10 years to, to get there. Yeah, I wonder about that, like the name thing, because um, my name is Mac, but my last name is not Matan. Matan is, it's a, it's my pseudonym. I'm a writer, like by trade. And I just, Matan is my grandmother's maiden name. So it didn't come from nowhere, but I just like the way it sounds. And when my brother was listening to the first episode of the podcast, one of the one of his criticisms was, well, why don't you have your real name, your family name? And I just thought, I don't want it. And then I, I thought, I'm like, what am I hiding? And I don't think I am hiding anything because I don't have a problem telling people my name. I just, there's something about it that's also really appealing to me to have another name. But I, I do wonder, like, what is what does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a classic literary, it's a pseudonym, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. You know? it, it's like my friend's, I was talking about my friend Sue, who who was going out with Chris Corner. She was in the Robots in Disguise. Her name is Suzanne Powell, but her her stage name was Sue Denim. Sue Denim. <laughs> cool. And and the other girl in the band was called D Plume. And it took me about a year, and I was like, Nom De Plume and Sue Denim, and and they were like, Duh, James, of course. Where have you been? <laughs> Okay, so I guess what I, as we wind down, yeah. this, I could talk to you for like five hours, um, but unfortunately, we don't have this room booked for that long. <laughs> so, and you're on your way to Manchester, as you said. Uh, so, being in Berlin, making music, how does the city, how is the city infused into your creative process? Yeah, well, it is probably, you know, like, I was, I was massively influenced by... London. Right, I spent, of course. I, I lived in London for 10 years, pretty much 10 years. And um and it was it was it was a massively inspiring inspiring city for me. I wrote I wrote a lot of songs. I basically created Nemo, I created this whole thing. Uh there was a point uh, around 2007 uh when I'd kind of stopped writing and I kind of had my first experience of of writer's block. And um I was so busy and so uh, focused on doing the 
thing of of being being a singer and being a musician and a label and everything else, I'd kind of forgotten about the writing side of it, and um, and I, I was a, I was kind of a bit depressed, and I and I didn't know why, and it's because I couldn't express myself anymore, and I I, I was blocked. Um, as soon as I moved here, I just the floodgates opened, and I I just started I I started a second period of of my prolific. Like Nemo was a prolific period for me. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of dried up, and I needed to make the cut and 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 reinvent myself. And so so Berlin was like the second uh, wave of of my creativity, and massively inspiring. And it was something about the energy of of the of the city and and the freshness of of the culture. It it it, it just it was a, a an endless source of. Uh, creativity yeah and you know that went on that was about that went on for about 10 years uh, as well of course i'm still here but i i started once i i had this touring sort of lifestyle of touring hopping around all all over the world coming back to berlin i i i never stopped doing that basically Uh, i still travel around I, i spend the winters in uruguay I, 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 yeah, tell me about that. You told me on the on the phone, and I was like, Uruguay. What? Okay, it sounds it sounds like a really cool country. I've never been, but what? How did that happen? Um, a friend of mine that I knew from London, who who moved moved to Montevideo, and um, this was around 2011, 12. And he said to me, James, you really you have to come 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 out to Uruguay, come to Montevideo. I think you'll love it. And uh, he 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 said, look, come stay with me. I'm going to book some shows for you. Uh, we'll, we'll play in Buenos Aires. We'll play in Montevideo. We'll play in Punta del Este. And um, so I did. He said, book the flights. You won't spend any more money. Come and stay for like a month. We'll play these shows. We'll release your record in Uruguay. Your solo record, Arts and Sciences. My, f- I was at that. I was at the point where I was relaunching myself as James Cook, and um, I flew to flew to Montevideo, and I was blown away by the city and the and the um, the culture, and it felt like it, it felt like I f- I felt when I first went to Berlin in two thousand and four, it, f- it felt like the same thing. So <laughs> that was the next phase of my creativity, and. Um, um, you know, I, I, I flew back, uh, you know, and then I kind of like realized I don't think I ever want to spend another winter in Berlin. <laughs> don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I bought some, we bought some land uh, in Punta del Este and then I ended up buying, uh, building like a little ha- beach. Like, ha- like you built it or you hire people to build I, it? I, paid an architect (laughs) (laughs) actually i can also build homes no no Uh, (laughs) wow you hired an architect wow okay so you've got to show me photos (laughs) of that later uh cool so okay so berlin so i would say where you are when you're not berlin is my european base Mm -hmm. i go back to the uk you know to see my family and i i i in uh, english people say i i winter in in in, uh (laughs) In Uruguay. Yeah, you winter in Uruguay. <laughs> and Canadians winter in Florida. <laughs> that's what yeah. they do. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Okay, so this is where you're going to be spending most of your time when you're not in Uruguay. 
And what what does the future hold for James Cook? Because I think, let me just rephrase that. Say it again. What does the future hold for James Cook? Um, I th- I think there's like a, a a weird sort of like cyclical thing that's just happened that it's the 20th anniversary of of the release of Piccadilly and Sepia next year. So I've just made, I've just re, after having turned my back on it, I've gone back to the old Nemo stuff and I've re-recorded, remastered, um, like like I suppose a compilation of of, of uh, Nemo songs, starting with Piccadilly and then going, going forward uh, as a retrospective kind of uh, album. Um and and there's a way of like closing a loop somehow and and uh, at the same time I'm writing a, a, a new album which would be my fifth solo album uh so you've remained so impressively prolific throughout your career it's really inspiring first of all but also how do you how do you do that because for so many people, I think when they do make they create art, it takes so much from them that they really need a long break before they endeavor it again. Well, the the gaps are getting longer. Okay. You know, it, instead of instead of making an album every year, you know, it's, it goes to two years, and then some. T- now, th- now the last the last record I made was twenty nineteen. This time three years ago, um, I made this record called The New Normal. And and before I, the pandemic, yes, this was 2019. <laughs> this was like November 2019, and I said I'm gonna set, I'm gonna do what I did in the system. I'm gonna set up a club night, and it's gonna be called the New Normal. And uh, and we did the first night of it in in November 2019. And then um, I finished the album called the New Normal, and um, then went to Uruguay in. Um, the winter, the winter of 2020, January, February, March. March 2020, the pandemic hit. Uh, uh, we were stranded I- in Uruguay. The fl- uh, airports were closed. The whole world shut down. And everybody starts going on about the new normal, the new normal this, the new normal that. I remember watching like a live uh, stream on, on YouTube of Governor Cuomo from New York talking about the pandemic and he he must have said the new the new normal about ten times in in the space of twenty minutes of of this press conference, and my girlfriend at the time was like, "How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> How did you know the world was going to shut down and we'd be transformed eternally?" So your new album needs to be called New Normal Part Two. No, no, <laughs> no. The new album is I think is going to be called Kafka esque. Really? Yeah. Are you a Kafka fan? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of I, I reread the trial, um, and uh, this this winter, and it kind of blew my mind, and and I just kind of realized how how ahead of his time he was, and you know the very fact that if you if you if you if you're a, if if you if you're a writer and and you know uh, there is a term that that gets employed when to describe a certain situation of kafka-esque if you want to talk about brexit and uh, mm-hmm. and and the, the the culture of the new normal of this world that we have this new world that we are now in i would say kafka-esque was a pretty 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 good um like a like a waking nightmare you know yeah. um 
and I I I re I re I read reread the trial, and I and then I rewatched the one a couple of the movies. Orson Welles did a version with Anthony Perkins in in the in the sixties, and then there was one done in the nineties with Carl McLaughlin, I think. And um, it just it's just uh, uh, amazing, and and it just made me realized that this what is kind of like a metaphor for Brexit or mm-hmm. something. I think with Brexit, I think they're just going to do another referendum in five years and just rejoin yeah. the Eurozone. That's what I think yeah, will happen. Yeah, well, that is what's going to happen. But what it will be, it will be 10 years of just a waste of 10 years. And we're halfway through that process at the moment. It's going to take another, you know, it was 2016. It will take until 2026. And everybody will wake up from this waking nightmare and, and, and go, what the hell just happened in the last 10 years? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so and I'm, so I'm kind of trying to articulate that and, yeah. and write about that. Cool. Well, I wish you tremendous luck. I'm going to continue to listen to your, your catalogue. I think, I think I need to get my hands on some of the stuff because I really just was so blown away by Nemo. And thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you're super busy and you're lit on your way out today. And I hope I see you again soon. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. Jamescookmusic.com. Jamescookmusic.com. That's the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to give Being Berlin a follow on Instagram at Being Berlin Pod. We'd love to hear from you and talk all things Berlin and Berliners. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Bands, for giving us the opportunity to bring a piece of Berlin to listeners. If you're a hobbyist musician and want to join a rock band with real rehearsals, Bands is a way to meet fellow hobbyists, improve your skills, and have fun. Register at bandsberlin.com and bring back music to your life. Thank you.